Hey everyone, you are listening to Mind Body Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Body Green's beauty director, Alexandra Engler. In this podcast, we discuss all things beauty taken through the lens of well being. Thank you for joining. Before we jump into the episode, I will go over some things that are happening at Mind Body Green. So, our beauty franchise, Beauty Breakdown, has become a hit and we are extending it into other mediums. On the website, you have probably already seen it. It is where we discuss confusing beauty topics like exfoliation, sun care, scalp care, and so on. We dive deep into the science behind these topics, you know, things like what we're getting wrong, what we should be doing instead, products that actually work. So I am just stepping in here to say, what would you like to see us cover? What questions do you have? What beauty topics confuse you and you want a full-blown explainer on? If you have any ideas, topics, or questions, you can head over to sayhi.chat slash cleanbeautyschool to submit your questions via voicemail. That is sayhi.chat slash cleanbeautyschool, or you can click on the link in the show notes and it'll take you right to the webpage. If you are not into leaving a voicemail, trust me, I totally get that. You can DM me your questions. I'm on Instagram at alex underscore blair underscore. So today's episode, we are talking about product formulations and cosmetic chemistry. This is one of my favorite areas of beauty to discuss, and I love chatting with cosmetic chemists. Today, I am chatting with TikTok's favorite cosmetic chemist and beauty expert, Javon Ford. If you are a beauty fan, you might have had his videos pop up on your TikTok pages, Certainly, that's how I found him. My algorithm apparently knows me very, very well. So shortly after seeing his work, I became an Anne. I love his thoughtful approach to beauty. He is so good at explaining formulations to us regular folks because, you know, obviously this stuff is very, very confusing unless you have a degree in chemistry like he does. Not to mention, it feels like it is a time in the beauty space when the average consumer could get whiplash keeping up with the latest launches and ingredient scandals and and TikTok trends and so, so much more. So having a voice of reason is very, very essential. Honestly, anytime a new celebrity drops a skincare line or there is a scandal around a certain formula, I go straight to his TikTok page to see what his thoughts on the matter are. I loved our conversation, so let's just get into it. Javon, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Well, as someone who, as I've mentioned even before we hopped on this call, loves your TikTok, this is very exciting for me. I love how you break down all of the ingredient and form hot button topics that are happening at any given moment on the internet. And I can't wait to just chat about, you know, so much of what's happening in the beauty space and also just to get to know you a little bit better. And in the interest of that, I always love to start the episode about asking about your story and, you know, how did you decide that you wanted to be a chemist and then more specifically a cosmetic chemist? What's your background? All right. So I've always known I wanted to do chemistry ever since, I guess, sixth grade, uh, taking but doing a little lab experiment, seeing how things could blow up. And I, my mom was a science teacher and she still is, but she would take me to the annual science convention, all the science teachers go to across 
America and like one year was in Dallas and we made our own little DNA Well, we extracted our DNA and wore, put it in necklaces. I won like a giant African millipede one year. And one year I got like a little science kid that you're supposed to be 16 years old. And I was like 10, but it was like a little, <laughs> and I watched Jimmy Neutron and Dexter's Lab growing up and they always inspired me. So eventually I always knew I wanted to do some type of uh, chemistry field. I just didn't know what specifically because as a kid, I just knew, oh, I liked chemistry. And then I got to college and realized I don't like theoretical chemistry. I did like summer internships and quality control and pharmaceutical realized I didn't like that. I didn't want to UC Davis. That was like mainly physical chemistry research PhD level. I realized I did not want a PhD. So I went to the yeah. American Chemical Society website and I looked at like the different career options in chemistry because in undergrad, they tell you you can't do anything with a just like BS in chemistry or BS in any of the natural sciences. So like biology, physics, any of those, they were like, oh no, even psychology, like, no, no, you need to go to grad school, get a PhD. But I came across formulation science on the American Chemical Society website. And I'm like, oh wait, this looks cool. These are the people that made everything from like personal care, like makeup and skincare, even on the way down to like even food, food science, as well as, uh, Oh yeah, like consumer products like Clorox bleach wipe, all that. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I can wow. do that. And I tried to get a job out of college doing that, tried to get internships. They were like, We like you, but you need three years entry level experience, even though it's an entry level job on those fields. <laughs> so my first that, job that, out of that college. Very I, fun caveat yeah. for all the entry level jobs. To start here, you actually need to start somewhere else. <laughs> Yeah. They were like, we, we like you. We like your personality, but you don't have the three years minimum. And I'm just thinking that you're okay. <laughs> so the only job I get out of college is as a nuclear engineer down in South Carolina, all places. And I wasn't going to say no, because I had needed, it was already a month out before graduation. Everybody else, all the engineers already had their jobs lined up since October. And I'm like, I'm late. I need a job. So <laughs> I accepted that and I stayed there for three years. But in the meantime, when I wasn't working as an engineer, because you know, government had excellent benefits. I was able to save enough money and, you know, plan my move to LA or New York eventually. In the meanwhile, created my own company, making personal care and got the experience myself running my own company. Because as far yeah. as they know, I, then the company was in my name. And, you know, sure. they, they always ask me to tell them, but they still were impressed. And eventually I got a job here after moving to LA. And after three months, I finally got a job working for a contract manufacturer that makes like several big brands and and just went from there. Wow. So, you know, so that's obviously your broader backstory, but in terms of like the beauty industry, because following your TikTok, that does seem to be, you know, where much of your focus is. Mm -hmm. What was the draw there? Was there something about the beauty industry that interested you? Like, did you grow up liking skincare or was this something that kind of came later with the chemistry side of things? It was two reasons, mainly. I did use skincare growing up, but mainly like the acne stuff. And that was back in the tins where everybody was using the dry astringents that, it, you know, made everything worse. But I guess I decided on beauty side because I like my minor was music and I liked having, you know, blending creativity with the theoretical. So I couldn't just do one type of chemistry, which is mainly theoretical chemistry that just I like to use the left and right side of my brains equally because in college, I alternated between music and theater classes and chemistry classes, and I kind of wanted something like that in my day-to-day -day job. And cosmetic chemistry is very much an art as it is a science because you're blending different things, especially the makeup side with color cosmetics. So it was that aspect. And also just, I guess, the, the satisfaction of helping somebody where, oh, you know, you make somebody feel good about themselves. But PhD research, you wait 10 years and hope that you can verify your hypothesis or thesis versus personal care where, you know, 
products developed within two to three years and you can see how it impacts somebody's life with the makeup, making them feel better about themselves or skincare, improving their condition or hair care. You know, it's like, it's always nice yeah. to see. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely that much more immediate payoff and, you know, people have a real attachment to the products that they use. So you probably mm -hmm. get to, you know, experience that firsthand, especially because you're like, you know, you probably see somebody talk about something that you had a hand in. You're like, I created that. And like, they're talking about it. You know, that's, yes. I mean, that must feel really cool, right? It's very fulfilling. Yeah, I can only imagine. So what is your beauty philosophy? And I, I asked this question to all of my guests and I'm, I'm curious to hear it from you as a cosmetic chemist because, you know, I, I don't interview as many cosmetic chemists on this podcast, but do you have a beauty philosophy? Hmm. I would say in terms of makeup, I always like when I do wear makeup, it's, I prefer the natural look or the philosophy like makeup, even if it's glam should enhance your appearance and not outright cover it. Unless yeah. you're doing something like stylized or heightened like drag or theater where that's sure. the point. But in terms of everyday life, I like the idea that it enhances the best aspects of you and improves that. And even for skincare, I like the idea where it still does the same because we as a society have a lot of unrealistic expectations with skin, but I still prefer the whole natural like pores are fine. Acne is fine. Just doing the best you can to make yourself feel good and going, you know, day by day. Yeah, I love that. So I want to get into the TikTok of it all, how I discovered you. And for our listeners out there, we, we've we chatted a little bit about how, how his TikTok fame has entered real life and that he's been recognized at various places. And I, I just want to, you know, hear your experiences about how that has been. TikTok is such an interesting world in the beauty space right now because, mm -hmm. you know, you can really just blow up overnight. And what was your experience with it? It was random. Honestly, I created my TikTok around this time last year, like May of 2021, with the sole purpose of promoting a Kickstarter I was doing for this. Because the other reason I went to LA was screenwriting. I created this okay. TV pilot. I shot a concept trailer and I made a Kickstarter, got on their list. I'm like, okay, let me promote it on TikTok. They don't, that lasted about a week. <laughs> and then I just randomly <laughs> made a skincare video on hyaluronic acid and I woke up to 100 100,000 views and 5,000 followers. I'm like, where did this come from? <laughs> because four years ago, I tried to make a YouTube channel talking about sunscreen and anti-aging. And I only did two videos of that because it was a lot of work and a lot sure. of editing for a 20 minute video to get like 500 views. I just put them on the back burner. And then here's TikTok, it's an eight one video. And then I woke up with that many followers. So I just kept doing that and eventually grew to about like, I'm at 200,000 now. And in yeah. terms of how that's affected my daily life, we talked about this a little bit before how I was in Vegas for my birthday and a couple of people on the strip recognized me and I went to a daiquiri bar and somebody recognized <laughs> me or going into Sally's and being recognized. So that's different. Even on some of the dating <laughs> apps, people are like, oh, hey, that's all your thing. Awesome. In terms of career, it's done wonders for my career. Sure. I was able to leave my job in March with a different country manufacturer to do TikTok full-time as well as independent consulting because I got a lot of people, a lot of brands, small and, you know, established brands saying, hey, can you help me with this formula? Because I really love your TikTok and there aren't that many cosmetic chemists that are visible and it's kind of hard to just find them on Google. So that definitely increased my visibility and credibility because they can just see my work on my videos and I've gotten enough contracts to, you know, 
work for myself full time. And that's always a great feeling. Yeah, no kidding. I love to hear that you have interest in film because, you know, I feel like this kind of marries some of that with what you're doing, you know, on Mm -hmm. some level, like TikTok is a visual medium where you have editing and, you know, it's so that's that's fascinating to me. You seem like a very creative person all around. So I want to ask. So much of your TikTok is around almost debunking, but more so just like providing context and explaining hard concepts within the beauty space, right? You know, I, I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of times like ingredients, ingredient controversy, controversies will come up or a brand will have a controversy surrounding a certain product or a celebrity will launch something. And, you know, your videos are very much centered around the idea of providing context and explanation. And I'm curious, why do you feel that it's important to have your videos from that point of view? Like what, what is the thought process there? Okay. The reason I decided to mainly focus on debunking, because that wasn't the initial intent. The initial intent was here's the general ingredients. And then that slowly warped to product reviews because people requested that. And then eventually that became, oh, hey. These are myths we need to dispel, mainly because TikTok is still, you know, predominantly a Generation Z app. Like most of the people there, the median age, I think it's maybe 30. So a good chunk of the audience, and especially my audience or the audience of beauty talk or skin talk in general, are people who are still growing very young and very impressionable by, you know, nature. And there are always those videos saying like, oh, avoid this, avoid silicones, or these are five toxic products. And products people have been using their whole lives that have no doubt is showing that they're like any hazardous in the food we eat, which that's another story and they're throwing it out. And there's also, I guess, kind of like a classist side of TikTok where the products that are being vilified are also the affordable ones. And yeah. I also, I guess another philosophy is that skincare doesn't have to be expensive. Beauty doesn't have to be expensive. You can achieve good personal care with affordable drugstore options and don't have to spend 80, hundred dollars because that's another thing is that luxury products automatically better. And the main thing that makes luxury luxury is the experience and not necessarily the ingredients. Yeah. So you were seeing this need for education on the app itself, right? So that was one aspect to it, but were you seeing something else in the industry writ large that compelled you to come at this from an education standpoint? Because like, Obviously, you had the audience that was hungry for the information, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'm curious about the broader beauty industry and mm-hmm. behind it, you know, was that a part of the equation as well? Not directly, but it definitely plays a role because the people on TikTok who are peddling some of the misinformation got it from somewhere. So it's like cyclical, sure. I would say, where we are in a very much a clean beauty trend. Which is bad, you know, the idea behind clean is to be as environment-friendly and skin-friendly as possible. But, you know, there is no definition of what constitutes clean. And many of the ingredients that are deemed unclean aren't unsafe or any more of a risk to the environment than other savages perception. And it, of course, started with the mummy bloggers like 15 years ago when parabens first got on the hit list. And then some other ingredients got on that list and sulfates, even though sulfates are fine, but unless you're, you know, sensitive to it, but that's with any ingredient. And so eventually that sparked the beauty industry in large to say, okay, we're going to give you what you want. Here are some clean products. And in some of their verbiage is they're like, oh, these products are chemical free, which of course, as a chemist, that (laughs) hurts me. 
But, you know, misinformation yeah. from brands are saying, oh, we don't use sulfates, even though it's a product that would never have sulfates in the first place. Like, yeah, that kind of yes. perpetuates the idea that, oh, these products are bad and these products are safer. I know, uh, speaking like the drugstore thing, a lot of things, a lot of reasons um, people hate drugstore products is because they have silicones in them. And one person who was like an Aveda seller, uh, seller was saying, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't like it because it has silicones and waxes, but Aveda does too. But of yeah. course, most luxury brands do. Yeah. It's just that, again, sure. the perception. Yeah. And, you know, all of this stuff gets so confusing too, because, you know, silicones is like a perfect example of like a class of ingredients that's like so confusing because there are multiple types of silicones out there. And, you yeah. know, some people, for example, like, on Reddit, there's the curly girl method, right? They don't use silicones mm -hmm. because of X, Y, Z reasons that they don't necessarily want to use silicones with their particular, you know, with that particular hair type with curly hair. And like, that's one aspect of it where it's like, if you choose not to use silicones for your hair type, like that's perfectly reasonable. And like, yeah. I'm somebody who actually doesn't use a ton of silicones because I have curly and fragile hair. However, that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad, you know, inherently. Yeah, that's... Mm -hmm. it's it's just a choice right like that's yeah. where i get Personal hung preference. up with a lot of this stuff and that's where it comes down to like i agree i don't like silicones in my hair for the same reason it's very coily i just don't like how it feels unless i'm you know straightening my hair in that case it, they're the best heat protectant so i want to use i'll you know okay i'll ignore the slimy feeling just for you know, not frying my hair. But yeah, it comes down to personal preference. If you don't like silicones because you don't like how they make your hair feel or it weighs your hair down or it makes your hair look too shiny, you don't have to use it. But like you said, it doesn't necessarily make it a bad ingredient. Because again, yeah. these people who are doing other products have been using the products for years. Clearly they like it, but it just sure. takes one video saying silicones are toxic or sulfates are toxic. And oh, you know, this has made my hair grow to like the like shoulder length or whatever. And let me throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Do you know, like, even just to go back to silicones, it's like, there's, there's so many different types of silicones too. And like, you know, like, I personally don't love using cyclic silicones, but like, there are other silicones that I don't mind at all. You know, like, I don't mind dimethicone, like, and you know, so it's just like, there's like smaller classifications in there that, but that gets hard. And then it gets to the point of like, the average person <laughs> is obviously never going to know all those nuances because they have lives yeah. and jobs that aren't our jobs, you know, like <laughs> where they don't need to know all this sort of stuff. Yes. So. Speaking of that, something else I noticed is that, you know, a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people don't know what silicones look like. People look think silicone is going to be in the actual ingredient list where it rarely is. And then some people know to look for cone, but like you mentioned, the cyclic silicones don't have cone at the end of their name. They have yeah. siloxane. And of course, silicone, dimethicone is even the scientific name. It's some type of siloxane. And then you have silanes. Yeah. They're like, it's a whole class or functional group, technically, of compounds. No sure. different than like the different types of alcohol. Like It's like methanol and ethanol. They're both alcohols, but one you can drink to an extent and put in your skin and one's poisonous. Yes. Yes, totally. No, it's... And so naming conventions just in general is is super challenging, but you know, I always, I always say that like the average beauty consumer, like be <laughs> like, they shouldn't have to feel like they need to be a chemist to understand this stuff. You mm -hmm. know, it's, but I think there is kind of this draw that's happening right now where people almost like want to 
know, you know, they like want to be able to feel like they they know this like dictionary list of ingredients, right? But and so, but a part of me is like, I don't know if that's necessarily good for the consumer because, like, I mean, if people <laughs> yeah. want to spend their time doing whatever, they can. But it's also like they're a consumer; they shouldn't have to spend all of their free time, <laughs> you know, going exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know why it's like that, though, because, you know, up until recently, the beauty industry has not been very transparent at all about what's in their formula. And that's part of what's sparked the mummy bloggers to investigate in the first place, because, sure. again, if and I understand why, you know, as a brand, you can never be 100% transparent because you're selling a product and marketing is kind of twisting things and angles. But in general, they are like, oh, here's here's our formula. That's it. We're not explaining any of the ingredients of what they do and their function. And people yeah. eventually got curious or frustrated because they had, you know, effects like, oh, my hair is falling off. Is it because of this preservative that's been in products for 50 years or because they don't know what else to think? So I think yeah. that's part of the reason why people are like, okay, I want to know what every ingredient does in their function and whether or not they work in combination with this ingredient. I'm sure. But I agree yeah. they shouldn't have yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I think you're spot on. I think it came from a real need and and then the internet happened and all of a sudden all this information was just out there and yeah no it's it's fascinating it's certainly a fascinating industry to be in right now okay so you know we we talked a little bit about you know why you take your tiktok from this angle and so now i need to pick your brain on you know some of this more nitty gritty chemistry stuff i want to ask what sort of formula myths and misconceptions bother you the most we've already you know kind of touched on a few but are there any others that you need to add to the list hmm i guess preservatives in general a lot of brands claim to be preservative free and because preservatives are by definition, the most hazardous potential ingredient in cosmetics, because when well, in order to kill bacteria, you have to have a little bit of poison to explore microbes. That's just any preservatives. And I guess there's the idea that you can have a natural preservative. And I even have to tell some of my clients when they want to formulate that, you have to understand that microbial growth and mold and mildew are a natural process. And you can't just stop the natural process with nature. It's not it's unnatural for them to not grow. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like nature yeah. wants them to grow. Nature wants organisms to thrive and prosper. So, and it's, I guess people want this super clean idea, but modern conventions, we like products that are shelf stable for a year. That's not really natural. Things with water usually grow within <laughs> two weeks. And that's, I guess, the idea that people have to understand that you can have a preservative free product. But it will be something like perishable that you have to refrigerate and you have to throw it out within weeks. And that point, it's just like food. Yeah. I love looking at it from that perspective because, you know, you're so right. It's it's actually not supernatural to have something sit on your shelf for a year. and But that's the lives we live and that's okay. And so you need something a little unnatural to get there. I I also, sometimes I like to explain to to people, it's like, well, you know, like pathogenic bacteria and mold or technically those should be on your no list too like <laughs> we definitely don't want those in there like i if my personal no list i would include <laughs> you know mold and bacteria 
You know, speaking of that, on the formula side, there are, of course, more brands are trying to be as clean as possible and they're using preservatives that are naturally derived, not 100% natural, because again, those don't kill natural things, but, yeah. you know, they're <laughs> cleaner sounding than phenoxyethanol. But of course, they're a little bit more sensitizing because you have more botanicals, you have more allergen potentials. But the reason I bring them up is because they often fill what we call preservative efficacy, especially where we want to make sure the preservative system is sound for the shelf life of the product. So if a product claims to six months stable, we want to guesstimate that this preservative system will prevent bacterial or microbial growth for six months. The natural ones usually fail. And that's yeah. why a lot of clean products only stay three months because of that. Which again, if somebody wants to go down that route, it's not necessarily safer than the parabens. But if, you know, for whatever reason, they don't like parabens, they don't like phenoxyethanol, they have to contend that this product has to be thrown out in three months. That's just like getting sure. people to understand that, like, you can have that where, you know, your own personal belief of what ingredients you accept, but there's some caveats. Same thing with emulsifiers. There are a lot of natural products that separate within, well, they just separate because they don't, oil and waters don't naturally mix. You have to have a usually synthetic emulsifier. The yeah. best ones have are what we call oxalated ingredients. And yeah. they're also on a lot of no-no lists for clean brands like Credo and now Sephora yeah. just update their clean standards to try to limit them as well, because there's like a small risk of an impurity called 1,4-dioxane, which is a carcinogen. It's rarely, there's like it maybe like 100 ppm, which is a very small amount, but just that small presence is enough for them to be like, no, we don't want that in our product. But if you omit that, you have products that separate more often. Sure. Yeah. No, this point of view is really illuminating to me. And I actually really quite like it, you know, because we, we want these natural ingredients to do these things that are unnatural for them. Like you said, like mixing oil and water, that's unnatural, <laughs> but mm -hmm. we want them to do it and we want to do it in a quote unquote all natural way, but you, you know, you can't, that's not how nature designed it. And anyway, that's, I love that, that framework to work under and to think under, I think I'm going to have to go back to <laughs> some of my trains of thoughts and, you know, jiggle <laughs> them around <laughs> under this new framework that you shared. And another so, example I, of that. Oh, oh please. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, oh, another no, example no, would be uh, heat protectants. And I mentioned this in a video before how, you know, I always talk about how silicones are the best heat protectants. I don't like how they feel, but for heat protection, they're the best because they sit on the skin. I mean, they're still in the air and that's what you want. You don't want it to be absorbed. And people sometimes ask for a natural heat protectant. I use this example. Eating your hair to 400 degrees is not natural. There is no instance in nature where your hair would ever need to be under those conditions. <laughs> so it's not needed. And I guess the same also applies for when people count oils as natural SPFs. I mean, naturally, yeah. your sun wants to get to the skin and those are all, you know, normal processes. You don't, the oils don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> also, I keep function. on seeing this stuff and like, I, I just like, I'm having like flashbacks to the days of me, you know, as a teenager, like putting oil on my skin to to purposely tan. So I don't know where, yes. like, where did all of a sudden now they're natural SPFs? And I was like, that was not the reason I was using them when I was a teenager. <laughs> and the tanning so, oils. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, oh my somebody God. was saying another myth. Oh, Please. another myth somebody was saying was that shea, like shea butter has an SPF of 40. And I'm thinking if there were the case, we wouldn't be using all the other stuff if it worked that way. <laughs> don't. Totally. If science had already figured this out about these botanicals, then 
we would have done this by now. Um, and economical anyway. products. Shea butter is also very cheap. By It's cheaper yeah. than most UV filters. Like, Of course, there's a bottom line, but if it saves them money and it's more effective, there's no point in using the other stuff. You have to go out your way to synthesize. <laughs> totally. So earlier in your answer, you brought up something that I, I want to ask about. So it was about product testing. You know, you mm -hmm. mentioned that you do preservative tests. And I think that this is interesting and a little bit of a peek behind the curtain for a lot of people. And you're the perfect person to ask us about is what sort of testing do standard products go through before they hit the shelves? You know, you mentioned the preservative test. What other typical tests might a formula be run through? Okay. Oh, that's a great question. So in U.S. law, you're not legally obligated to test. And I think EU is a little flexible with it too, but most brands do because even still the FDA wants, you have to ensure that your product is safe or, you know, as intended. So in addition to preservative efficacy testing, they also do general stability testing where you want to make sure your product is shelf stable, not in terms of microbial growth, but in terms of, you know, the actual integrity of the formula. So if it's a cream, if it separates, and of course that one's a little bit more subjective with the microbial test, there's a limit that you have to have like microbial count unit is what we, uh, there's like a FDA and EU standard, things like a hundred for general skincare and it's like even smaller for beauty products. But basically, you know, if it gets outside that limit, then it failed um, preserved efficacy testing. For stability, it's entirely up to the brand and aesthetic purposes. So. If a product separates, as long as the brand is like, just mix it and it, it looks the same, that's fine. As long as the preservative system itself does not become compromised by it separating because most preservatives are water, I mean, are oil soluble. And if the water and oil phase separate, then the water is like vulnerable to growth. And that's when you will say availability testing, something like that happens. Fascinating. So a little bit of this up to the brand's discretion. I would assume it's mm -hmm. in the brand's best interest to do this, right? Yeah, I've known products who have wave stability testing until after they popped up on Sephora shelves, oh. and the product and the product looked very sketch and sus, just sitting there in the tester bottle with a little precipitated crystalline structure just floating in its air. Big brand too, because I know they wave stability testing, and I'm just like, okay. So it does happen. Gossip, gossip. It, it, it is a thing. <laughs> Another test uh, brands often do is ocular irritation test where, you know, you want to make sure it's like eye friendly or just how, if it gets in the eye, if you just need to rinse it out for 10 minutes or if you need to help with the girl type of thing. And Got also RAPT, human repeat insult patch testing. So, you know, if you go to your allergist and they give you the little patches to see what you're allergic to, they basically sure. have a panel of people, they put on their, on their back a small concentration of the formula and they want to see if it causes irritation at, at a certain level and then make sure, you know, it's skin friendly. And, you know, if you do all that and then pay a little extra money, you can have dermatologists sign off and you can say dermatologists tested on top got of it. that. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. That's, that's interesting. I feel like I'm getting like such an inside scoop right now. <laughs> Okay, so uh, you've posted about Not So Pretty, the documentary that was on, I want to say Netflix, but I might be remembering this, or HBO Max, sorry. HBO. <laughs> yeah, okay, yes, yes, yes. Which was about the beauty industry. For full disclosure, I actually chose not to watch it because... <laughs> As somebody who's like, as somebody who like does genuinely, like I, I do try, I do tend to opt for quote unquote clean products. It's kind of, 
you know, it's, it's definitely like where my point of view lies in. And I come from it from a perspective of, I, I like to use these products better because I, I like the brands or, Mm -hmm. you know, these are a personal choice that I'm making. I, I do not believe in beauty shaming people. And so I chose not to watch the documentary because I was like, I don't know, I get bad vibes from this. (laughs) And, (laughs) and I know you posted on it and I know that it was very much a part of the zeitgeist. So I'm curious, what, what was the deal with it? What I, I know you, you know, you probably have some insights that you can share for us. <laughs> I do. So the main thing, I guess the main call to action was lobbying. They were trying to get people to, you know, tell your local congressman to pass. I forgot the, uh, the specific bill just so the FDA can have more oversight and, you know, controlling you know, cosmetics in America. And that was the main thing, which I don't disagree with. That is a good point. It's just that there was also that agenda they were pushing, but again, clean isn't necessarily better. It's just different. Like they were saying the talc and the talc, of course, is a controversial ingredient and it's in most makeup. Of course, the EU started phasing out talc two years ago where you can't use it around the butt area. So, you know, there's no baby powder with talc anymore, but they from their own testing and the FDA's own testing, they're like, it's perfectly fine in, you know, facial applications, but there is always that risk that there might be a little bit of asbestos. So people just started throwing it out. But again, like you said, there's one of the benefits of clean. If you just want to avoid that ingredient entirely, you can use a clean brand. That's one of the reasons that I, you know, I don't hate clean in general, because again, yeah. people want to feel safer about what they use. But when major corporations that do have all these information and, and science behind it just start peddling this, sure, and the product is no safer. Yeah. But again, the consumer doesn't know that. Uh, and that's okay. where it, it kind of got off the rails. Like they followed, one of the stories was following this couple that was having fertility issues. And yeah. it was very weird. It even followed them up to the point of, oh, hey, you know, put your you know, semen sample in this vial. Oh, this is where we put the, I'm like, this is so weird. <laughs> but they were basically saying how phthalates are linked to, you know, to endocrine infertility. These are very narrow links, but, and they never confirmed or denied whether or not this couple's fertility issues came from phthalates and fragrance, or if it just came from a different endocrine disruptor. But, and they were very right. meticulous with their wording. They were like, oh, the couple's fertility woes came from an endocrine disruptor. Like phthalates are endocrine disruptors and people yeah. got that association that phthalates are the reason for the, you know, the A, B, A equals B equals C logic, sure. but that wasn't necessarily the case. And well, and what I always, uh, listen, I, I am somebody who does like try to not necessarily use things with endocrine disrupting, perhaps science, you know, pointing to that. However, a lot of natural things have the same problem. You know, there are a lot of natural ingredients that are endocrine disruptors as well. So it's not, you know, I think people yeah. are always like, oh, well, it's synthetic. So, you know, X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, that's not the problem. Like there's actually a lot of things in our life that are endocrine disruptors. And, and you know, that's the whole point of like the pro- what makes endocrine disruptors so complicated and such a complicated topic to discuss is there's so much out there that can actually be influencing mm-hmm. your home runs at any given moment. And so, you know, I, again, I, I always kind of come back to, it's like, how are we supposed to figure this all out? I don't know. <laughs> it can be yes, very confusing. Like, like lavender oil, which is very common, yes. or a lot of essential oils or, you know, plastics like BPA or just 
even, you know, burning your car exhaust. There are so many things that, again, we want to limit the exposure to that, but there's so many factors and so many chemicals that can, you know, cause fertility issues or cancer. It's hard to just pinpoint. This is the cause. Sure. Yes. And I, I think we're on the same page that like my problem comes from like when people like pinpoint one thing as the bad thing. And it's like, no, mm -hmm. no, no, no. That's I want us to have this conversation, but I want us to have the actual conversation, like the well-rounded conversation of like, yes, this is a problem that's happening, but it's a problem that's happening in a broader sense. It's not just one ingredient in your shampoo. <laughs> yes. Um, you have to okay. yeah, look at the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. I mean, like exactly. even cigarettes. It, now we know cigarettes, of course, are, you know, the leading cause of lung cancer, but it took the Surgeon General because they first discovered them in 1920, but that wasn't established in 1960. And there were some lobbyists trying to prevent that, but still there was that 40 year stretch before they were able to confirm that, okay, definitively we know this is the main cause of lung cancer. Because again, there's so many other bad things we're being exposed to. Totally. Yes, I know. And, you know, it's like, you can't walk outside without getting hit by like so many carcinogens and, you know, various environmental stressors. And, you know, it can be, it can be very confusing to have these sorts of conversations. So I can understand where the controversies come up, but, you know, I think it's, it, I think it's important to take a step back and think about this stuff with a little bit more level-headed manner. Okay. So speaking of controversies, have there been any like social media controversy controversies lately that have gone under your skin? Like, I feel like there's always a new beauty controversy that happens. Are there any that like stick out to you? Hmm. I try to avoid those videos because they make me mad. Some of the ones I've been tagged in were, I guess, vitamin C. Moving away from the whole clean argument, what there was a person who was taking vitamin C serums and using an iodine solution and, and seeing the solution change from like brown to clear. I hate that because that's not how you look at efficacy and that only lets you know that the vitamin C is the ascorbic acid version, but there are yeah. other derivatives that are more stable and still effective. And yeah, just like, or people think these videos are scientific, but they're not. That not like, I guess they're not controversial in the usual drama sense, but very annoying <laughs> and just feeds more into like misinformation. Yeah. Speaking of vitamin C, what forms do you look for when you are either looking for a good vitamin C or product or, you know, perhaps formulating something for yourself? Do you have any like favorite forms? Yes. It's called ethylated ascorbic acid. The inky name is 3-O-ethyl ascorbic acid. I played with that two years ago at my one of my jobs and that was the one I used. I like the results and it's stable. And that's what I look for in products. There's one by Skin Proud and there's one by I think Ole Henriksen that okay. uses that like 15%. And the Skin Proud was like $10, but it uses it at 2%. So, you know, there's a budget option. Then there's like the high adoption, but that's the one. And I think, yeah, Kim Kardashian's line also uses that one. Sure. So I was going to actually ask about celebrity skincare brands. There's so many of them right now. Obviously, you know, some are probably more thoughtful than others, as all brands are. What, what are your thoughts on this trend of every celebrity having their own brand? <laughs> it's become the new perfume, but yeah, it's 
I'm getting annoyed of it, but not annoyed, just bored because it's becoming so oversaturated where celebrities that had like no public relationship to skincare and makeup or hair care launching their own lines. It's, yeah, it's becoming more obvious that many of them are cash grabs and it shows when, you know, they are big for a month and then nobody talks about the brand after that. Totally. You definitely see that quite a bit where it's very splashy at the beginning and then it it fizzles out pretty mm-hmm. pretty quickly after that. I want to dig in a little bit about ingredients. I just asked you about vitamin C, but I wanted to ask, what are some of your favorite skincare ingredients for, you know, various issues or concerns? So why don't we start with acne? Do you have any favorite ingredients for acne? I like salicylic acid. I know most people say tretinoin. I personally haven't, I don't personally care for retinol on that because it's battery thing. I just haven't personally haven't, I have no, never noticed any improvements from it. I guess because I'm really young still, I don't have wrinkles. So, cause I have ice pick scarring <laughs> and I thought we're going to up with that because it was like this miracle, oh, texture, it doesn't help with that. So yeah, <laughs> uh, the trend knowing, I know a lot of people have had, you know, seen tremendous improvement from using retinol in their acne routine, but in terms of things you can just grab and go, when I would say sell it to the gas at first and start with something that's low irritation potential and very affordable before upgrade to something that has like side effects. Well, they all have side effects, but bigger side effects, like drier skin and, you know, it dries out your wallet because it's more expensive. <laughs> you have to get a prescription for it. Sure. Okay. So what are your favorite ingredients for sensitive or like reactive skin? No ingredient in particular, because there is no ingredient you can just add and it just covers up all of that. There's Allentoin. It's not really marketed. It's marketing to the product that I made for somebody that's coming out soon. So you'll see that, but (laughs) because I love that ingredient, but Allentoin, so Allentoin is so good. I made a, like a 20%, but you're not going to find it that high in my skincare, but I made a 20% solution for a coworker who had cold sores and it cleared it up in a day. And another one that had like sores in our body and it's cleared it up like in a week. Allen Twin is really the only product I can think of that actually advertised the Allen Twin is there. You know, Cetaphil has like an Allen Twin oh. soothing cream. Anything that's soothing in it, look for Allen Twin in the ingredients because that one's really good for reducing irritation. But for general skincare without actives, just again, avoid anything with a fragrance. And that includes the natural products that claim to be fragrance free, but still have a smell. Because anything that's yeah. volatile, that's evaporating from the skin can cause irritation good extent. Sure. And then what ingredients do you like for somebody who is dealing with like, you know, fine lines, sacking situations like that? So for fine lines, the guilt standard is hyaluronic acid. I don't care for that one. I like glycerin, any heavy glycerin product because it's not as finicky. It's not going to have, it has less of a potential to dry your skin out if you're in a dry climate. And it's also a lot more affordable. And it has a kind of a warming sensation. It's a little bit sticky. Well, they both can be sticky. But yeah, glycerin or, you know, that's the main benefit of anti-aging products. They don't actually prevent wrinkles because none of them really have retinol. Retinol is always usually in serum form because it's unstable. But the anti-aging products are really good at plumping the skin by hydrating it. And that's the main cause of fine The main cause of fine lines is just dehydrated skin. I'm seeing a a very common thread with a lot of the things that you recommend, and it does seem to be, you know, ingredients that are accessible at like a wider price point or just like 
ingredients that like you can find at drugstores. And this has come up earlier in the conversation of, you know, you think it's important to like stress that like anybody can have, you know, good skincare options, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think that's like a really, really important point. And I almost, and I want to take a moment to chat a little bit more about that here before I get to your skincare regimen, because I do think it's something important to hit on. I, right now we are in this like skincare moment where the market is one, quite oversaturated and two, can be very expensive. And mm -hmm. It's very, it's very off-putting, even as somebody who is, gets to try whatever products she wants, such as myself. And, you know, it, it seems to me that you have, that you hold a, a similar point of view where, you know, good skincare shouldn't, it, you, you can find it at all ranges. Mm -hmm. Why, why do you hold that? Because I guess, well, I guess I know just from my side, there isn't a large difference in the actives between drugstore and high-end prestige brands. There are, yeah. of course, some things that are more expensive. Retinol is expensive. So if you want a stable retinol formula, you're going to have to spend more money on that. Same thing for vitamin C. You can get the ingredient affordably. It probably won't last as long, but you can still you know, obtain that. And then there's some very expensive ingredients like the, the bifida uh, lysate ferment that's in a lot of the essences or I forgot the name of the one that SK2 uses, like their trademark name, but that's basically sure. like Saccharomyces ferment. Those are expensive ingredients. I They don't have as much research, so I rarely mention them because that's the thing with a lot of the luxury brands. They usually have some very expensive ingredient to justify the price point. If you don't have the data, independent data to like support the claim for me to be like, yes, go on and buy this $150 cream, even though there's no data showing that this product actually delivers in a like double blind placebo trial. I think the, the the last point is super interesting and something that like, I feel like a lot of the average consumer wouldn't even, I mean, I, I wouldn't even think about it for the most part is like, you know, some of these like newer, more expensive ingredients, they, you're right, they don't have the data because one, they either are newer or, you know, not many yeah. people are using them. So, or not many brands are going to pump in the money to come up with independent data. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's just like more limited research, whereas, you know, vitamin C and retinol and et cetera uh, have, you know, they've, they've been around, a lot of brands use them. And so there's more incentive to get the research out there about them. That's interesting. Super interesting. With luxury, I, and I guess usually on my show, there's a trend where I read to talk about luxury products, but I do enjoy them because again, it shouldn't always be about, or it doesn't have to always be about getting performance. It can also just be about, you know, the whole self-care and making yourself feel better. And a lot of luxury products, which is why they're usually fragranced and they have this very expensive packaging and very expensive brand story because it just makes you feel better. It has that heightened experience. And a lot of it is, you know, aspirational where, you know, you just feel fancier using some products. So that's the thing I guess I try to get people to understand that it's not necessarily going to give you better results, but it might make you feel better about yourself, or it might just be more, feel nicer on the skin. A lot of the cheaper serums are gritty with mainly like the products by the ordinary because their main thing is just to give you performance and not necessarily the aesthetics and texture side of it. And then you have the mid-tier that gives you a mix of both. And that's, I guess my philosophy is that usually skincare in terms of performance and texture casts out around 80 to $100. Anything after that is slowly luxury. It's not necessarily doing anything better. It's just giving you a different experience. Interesting. No, I mean, I, 
certainly the sensorial part is is one part of the puzzle. And, um, you know, if, if that's where you want to spend your money and that's what, you know, makes you feel good about spending your money, then by all means, you know, we all have things that we, we all have our hobbies and some people have hobbies mm-hmm. that are skincare products. Okay. So the last thing I want to talk to you about is what you do for yourself, you know? So do you have like a day and night skincare routine that you stick to? Did I stick to? No, I jump around. <laughs> And especially now, because a lot of brands are sending me their freebies to test and brand bills. But usually I would, I usually only wash in the morning unless I'm wearing makeup or uh, heavy sunscreen. I like just reapplication. Usually I, I don't go outside except to get where I'm going. So I only apply sunscreen once. But if I'm on the beach and have to custom reapply, then I would, it's my best interest just to wash it off at night. But usually my routine is I use like CeraVe, I alternate between CeraVe, Cetaphil's like gentle milk cleanser and you to the people's cleanser, which is a little bit more cleansing because it's like, you know, more surfactants and more soaping and foaming. And then I follow that up with like a, a warm water mist. I did try these essences. I tried SK2, I've tried Connolly, I've tried the most expensive ones. I've never noticed a difference in my skin. <laughs> so I just do sure. a warm water mist. Still water would be better, but you know, warm water is fine. And then I do a vitamin C serum. I go back and forth between the cheap skin proud. As a matter of fact, and I need to go get the Ole Hearing Seven one I mentioned earlier, because that does use my favorite form of seven, try to get, or one I make, but vitamin C serum. And then the, it's the Korean brand. I forgot the name of it. It's the, oh yeah, Coast RX Snail Mucin. Oh, I yeah. love it. It's very yeah. soothing. It actually has allantoin in it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so anytime I use like an AHA glycolic or vitamin C, I put that on right after it calms the skin and it, you know, adds more moisture. And then after letting that absorb for like 30 seconds, I then use the gel cream. I alternate between three, depending on how expensive I want to go that day. Between L'Oreal, not L'Oreal, Neutrogena's Hydra Boost. Use to the People is one I'm testing now that I like. That's, I forgot the name, but it's a gel cream. It's like the little lime green one. Okay. And my favorite yeah. that I use the most consistently is the Tatcha Water Cream, I think I it's named. The Water Bomb. It's my all time, it's truly probably all time favorite cream. It's my favorite because it, in addition to being, you know, light silicone water cream, that's not too heavy, especially in the summer months, it has silicone elastomers. They don't advertise that because they're more on the clean side and, you know, talk about silicone, but those silicone <laughs> elastomers have learned that they yeah. aren't marketing. And, you know, that's great if you just want to hide, like the, reduce the appearance of your pores because you can't actually shrink them or wrinkles yeah. or even acne scars. It helps you know, blur that because of the silicone elastomers reflecting, refracting the light off of your face. So I love that cream for that. And then I just follow up with like aquifer under the eyes and either super goop sunscreen or what I'm using now that's really expensive, but I like it because I hate that they sent it to me because I'm not going to want to spend $70 on it. It's Murat's uh, uh. sunscreen. I forgot the name, but it's one that has the ca- uh, carotenoid in it that has like brightening effects. It's in a dropper okay. bottle. I, I think it. I know which one you're talking about. I'll, for all the listeners, I'll figure it out and I'll put it in the show notes. So that way. <laughs> I just pulled can. it out. It's, it's the Murad Correct and Protect Serum Bra Spectrum SPF 45. Okay, cool. That was the one I was thinking of, I think. Okay, cool. Regardless, I'll put it in the show notes, all of these links for all of the listeners out there right now. Okay, so makeup, I, I, I want to ask, because I do think that you get very good reviews on makeup. What what are some of your favorite makeup brands? Ooh, so most of the makeup I wear is usually makeup I make myself, but Ooh, when I do okay. wear other brands, 
<laughs> I know people are like, what's your favorite product? I was like, mine. Fair answer. <laughs> I do like NYX. Uh, okay. I love the NYX drops. That's what I've been using recently. I do like Jones Road pencil, the face stick or face pencil. Yep. Great for spot treatment because one of the problems that I find with concealers is that, you know, they're liquidy and they're not really good for covering texture. They're good for, mm. you know, 30 years mm -hmm. ago, concealers were made to be spot treatments, but recently they were made to be highlighters as a, you know, in a way. And so I like a good cream concealer because that cream, you know, sticks so it can really cover like, you know, small blemishes compared to a standard concealer. In terms of lipstick from a formulation standpoint, Kylie's is really good. It can be dry, so you might, you know, it's best to wear a balm underneath. But Kylie Tarts is really good too for like a velvet finish. There was a benchmark for a lipstick I had to make for a company. They were like, we want it to be like Tarts, but we, we want it to be like Tarts. It's not, it's not creamy enough. The Tarte one's really creamy. Especially yeah. now, if you want a good gloss without it being too shiny because of summer, I would recommend Tarte. For okay. eyebrows, or just or eyeshadow in general, of course, Anastasia has like the gold standard. Sure. Setting yeah. powder, there's Urban Decay's. That's the best mm. one I, I know of. Yeah. Did I miss any category for makeup? No, I mean, those are all the classics. <laughs> so anyway. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me today. I had so much fun. Everything you say is so interesting and I could listen to you forever and thank God you the oh, TikTok so I can. You should, you should join so me on TikTok. You what? Oh, I may, I don't know. <laughs> I'm and so scared of it. <laughs> and I should be asking what's your routine because your face is so dewy. Oh, well, thank you. That's very nice. I, I, I'm getting a little bit of help from Jones Rhodes Foundation Ooh. right now, which I know that came with a little bit of controversy not too long ago, but I, I personally love it. I think it just like works well with my skin. I, I tend to have dry skin and I like something that like acts like a tinted moisturizer. And I think that is kind mm -hmm. of like how you should view it. And so I, I'm getting a little bit of an assist from that. Let's see. I... I use Burt's Bees Sensitive Skin Care Face mm. Wash right now. I just, I like a creamy cleanser, but I, I only use it at night. I don't wash my face in the day. I use Indie Lee's QoQ10 Toner, which I really love. Just like, I'll use that in the morning just to kind of like wake my skin up a little bit. Just like, I like having like a little bit of something there to splash on my face since I don't wash my face in the morning. I love always having some sort of antioxidant serum. I like Nutriums. They're like... I, I just finished the vitamin C one. I'll probably start True Botanicals Chibula Serum, which mm -hmm. I've used once and I really, really like it. And and then right now, what am I using for my night? Oh, I'm using Drunk Elephants, the, the, the peptide cream, which is kind of a classic. It's like a, you know, it's been around for a while, but it's a good one. And I just got a, I just got a new little bottle, so. <laughs> I know the chemist who made that the Did other you? year at the Drunk Elephant. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, pass along my <laughs> my my compliments. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you so so much. This has been so much fun. Thank you. And I, I'll I'll see you on TikTok. <laughs> thank you. Have a good afternoon. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want more beauty content, you can find it at mindbodygreen.com or any of our social channels. And finally, if you liked this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.